welcome to another episode of the Ali Show, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Mesbo Hugh, music artist, and uh, you're definitely a, a very interesting uh, person, character. Like I feel as like a, you know, every time I watch like your stuff on social media or wherever that you post, like there's just so much energy <laughs> that comes out of you, man. Thanks, anyway, bro. before we get into it, uh, how are you, Mesbo? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too bad. I'm a little bit tired at the moment. Um, I had a really good show last night. It was my first time playing in Tamaki in two years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The show that I played last night was actually supposed to take place this time last year, okay. um, but after a series of postponements mm -hmm. due to COVID, um, yeah, we finally so many restrictions done. as well. I, I'd imagine. Yeah, must have been a big hit for you because you, as you said, was like two years. Yeah. So, um, my last show in the city um my last headline show was one that i put on for my sophomore ep when my name was still unchained excel and then i sort of take a took a break from playing shows to write some more music to release in 2020 and tour um i released music but obviously i couldn't tour it because of mm. covid so i had to try and find spaces when covid sort of relaxed its restrictions to get a show in there but every time i tried the restrictions mm. would come back and yeah it took until last night to Finally happened. Wow, that must that must have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was a big wait. relief, um, a long wait, and you know a lot of people who were there have been waiting to see me for some time. So yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, I saw a lot of the videos uh, that people posted and all that. There's um, you know quite a big turnout. Yeah, it was um, it was not too bad. I was pretty happy with it. Um, so when when did you get into music? You know, like creating music and mm. all that sort of stuff. When did it start for you? I think the for me actually creating music started in high school. But um, my musical journey began much, much sooner than that. So um, my parents um, sort of pushed me into classical piano when I was very small, um, about four years old. And I sort of um, developed in that until I got to intermediate school. And I met someone who sort of introduced me to the world of rock and roll, drums, um, guitar, bass, middle. And you know, I fell in love with middle and rock. And that was my first love for a, for a while um, throughout high school and even into uni. I was very much a middle kid and hip hop was only on the side for me. Um, and it was only sort of when my sort of uh, escapades in the middle came to an end. Um, and I still wanted to be doing music somewhere. Uh, a friend of mine that I met um, after uni sort of um, pushed me more and more into rap. And um, I found that, um, you know, I might have something, <laughs> might have something there. So, um, yeah. And then I just... Just carried on from there. there. The thing with your, your music as well, which... Um, what interests me is there is a lot in the lyrics, you know, there's like hidden messages and like yeah. things you're trying to put out. How, how did you, or why did you have that, that kind of, why was it important for you to have that kind of style or that? Hey guys, Ali here. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your love and your support. If you're not already on board, please do follow us on here and share it with your friends and family. If you prefer a visual experience, our videos are actually up on YouTube at the Ali channel. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share and leave a comment or feedback if you like. And also you can follow us on our socials at the underscore Ali underscore channel for Instagram and on our Facebook page at the Ali channel. We'll see you soon and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, well, um, I've done a lot of reflecting on this and... Mm. Actually, it was only recently um, I was having a conversation with a friend and I sort of 
because I'm a very much an external processor. And I, I learn things about myself when I have conversations with other people. I realized that I think a lot of my um, insightful, deep, thoughtful, political messaging comes from my time in the metal scene, because that's common. Um, it's common for metal bands to be hugely political or hugely socially conscious. Um, it's common to stop in the middle of a show and have a corridor about some issue that's happening. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, very, very, very common. Wow. Um, so that was the kind of culture I came through. So I guess naturally when I came into hip hop, um, I was used to just putting these kind of heavy messages in my music. And all it took was for me to sort of translate um, what I was doing there into the current context of hip hop and sort of look at myself um, and what I wanted, what, what I wanted to communicate about myself. And for hip hop, and for me, that was my identity. Um, that was my sort of coming to grips with my African Kiwi cultures and um, African New Zealander um, identity and in how complex that was and how it took for me to unlearn a few things and um, and learn a few things. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of developed from there and it was only natural that that came forth in my music. Bro, I've got, I've got a lot of questions just from what you yeah, said. Yeah, there. I have absolutely. so many questions, but yeah, um, cool. okay, I, I was trying to process that. But the first question that came to my mind was, mm. um, what are some of the like the biggest messages you try to put out in your music? Um, I guess one of the biggest ones for me is the story of the third culture migrant. Actually, um, probably not currently, but definitely um, that's where my journey began as Unchained XL Masbo Q. Um, and so it evolved. So it only makes sense for me to talk about my music in that context. Um, so I was one of the first, my family was one of the first Nigerian families in, in Aotearoa. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And even um, one of the first African families in Aotearoa as well. Wow. Um, in the early 90s, there were not many of us there. Um, and so growing up as an African New Zealander meant uh, the culture that I was living was one I was simultaneously creating. Like there was mm -hmm. nothing uh, that had been done before me uh, for me to look at and be like, okay, this is how we move. This is how we, you know, uh, this is what we do. This, you know. So um, my experience was very much one of when I was growing up in high school, I was like, well, I didn't want to be black because being black meant being different. different and that's yeah. the last thing you want to be in, in high school. Um, so, you know, I wanted to assimilate. Um, and, and be white essentially. Um, so, sort of coming into my my blackness, um, I realized okay, um, there are a few issues here. Um, what I experienced when I was younger is actually this thing called racism, and it's not just um, the insults or the um, the mocking or the teasing. It sort of sits within this larger system. What is this system? Oh, okay, it has a global context. The system makes sense within what's happening globally to, to the continent of Africa, to African diasporans all around the globe. Okay, what what is that? Oh, actually, this this matters. Let me talk about this. And so as I sort of deep dived into my own identity, I started learning things about how the world works. And I'm like, actually, there are a whole lot of things I need to be talking about in my music. So that led to sort of more broadly political, socially conscious stuff. And as I sort of evolved in that messaging, I discovered... At one point, I'm like, okay, it's great to talk about this, but I'm more than, like, as a human being, I'm more than just, like, this political stuff. I feel other things. Um, and that was the a great broadening for me. That, that sort of 
was the transition from Unchained Excel to Mesbo Q. Unchained Excel was very tightly political, like racism, um, politics, Nigerian politics. Um, you know, the, you know a, a lot of that kind of heavy stuff. And I kind of boxed myself in quite ironically because I was called Unchained Excel. Um, I boxed myself in um, into, uh, you know, as a rapper who would only talk about that stuff. But I, I realized, as I said, that, you know, I'm more than that. You know what I'm saying? I feel other things. I see other things. I witness other things. Um, as a musician, I should be able to express myself, you know, in whatever, in, way you in whatever I want. Um, how am I going to do that with this brand? It's not going to work. So I'm going to have to expand my brand to be more me. Um, and the moniker, Mazbo Q. Mazbo is um, an anagram of my last name, Ozumba, and Q is like phonetically matching to Q. So like Mazbo Q is essentially my name. Um, and that symbolizes the fact that who I'm becoming as an artist is more completely me. So now what you'll hear in my music, you will hear the political stuff, but you'll also hear some vulnerability that was not there before. Um, vulnerability outside the context of racism, you know what I'm saying? Just just about me as a person and all this kind of stuff. So um, now it's like, it is conscious rap, but it's, it's not just political. It's like, it's being vulnerable. It's being um, just in touch with oneself um, in a more complete way. Mm. Um, you were talking about uh, growing up here. Were you born in New Zealand or did you spend did you spend your childhood in back in Africa before you came here? I was born in the UK actually. So my oh. parents, yeah. <laughs> so my parents um, are Nigerian. Mm. Um, they were born in Nigeria and grew up in Nigeria. Um, did their post postgraduate studies in the UK. Had me and my sister. Um, came to Aotearoa when I was 18 months old. So essentially, like I have the same experience as Africans born in New Zealand, but technically, no, I wasn't born, born here. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so the eight, at 18 months, you pretty much can't remember Might much. as well have been. Yeah, here. can't remember much. Anyway, so I, yeah, I, I'd imagine it's like growing up, it's, it's, it must be hard, you know, like when kids look at you differently like that sort of thing and being one yeah. of the first like you know the very few families here yeah so i think i think the thing is um it was like kids are looking at me differently but i didn't have i felt like i didn't have anywhere to recluse to to be mm. like oh, okay yeah um i'm different but here's my refuge of people who are the same as me that was the issue um the closest thing to that for me was like the black americans i'd see on tv um rapping and hip-hop culture and all that kind of stuff um, so the difficulty faced by me and people like me was like, well, why do, why do New Zealanders find these people cool, but not find us cool? Um, and that, that was a hard thing to, to grapple with because it was like, well, we're kind of like them, but we're not like them. So what are we like? Who are, who are we as African New Zealanders? Cause we're not, we don't have the same experience as continental Africans, even though we do, there's a lot of crossover. We still don't. Um, but at the same time, we don't have the same experience of those whose ancestors um, were like, you know, went to the, the country and they descended from those people. So like black Americans and Caribbeans. Um, so, you know, what I'm saying like we, we've got this quite a different experience. And how do we navigate it? Like, where do we fit in? So, yeah, that was the that was the difficult one because we were creating something that we were living. And um, sorry, what was that in? Have you spent uh, most of your your life in in Auckland, or was it? Yes. 
yeah. in Auckland. Um, the other thing I wanted uh, about what you were saying just now is, you know, you started playing music, like playing, playing instruments at a very young age. Mm. And I understand you actually can play quite a few instruments yourself. Uh, yeah, how many, how many instruments can you, uh, can you play from? Uh, to, it's not that many. I yeah. like comfortably four. But um, <laughs> well, you know, like comfortably, like I do enough so I can produce because I'm a producer, yeah? yeah. So I do enough so I can produce my songs, and I generally tend towards um, organic sounding stuff. So I'll more likely have something like a real drum kit, or at least real drum kit parts. Have a bass, an actual bass guitar line. Have some guitar parts and all that kind of stuff. And that that means that I need to be able to play those at least to a level that I can sort of manipulate it and make it sound sort of useful yeah people people struggle <laughs> with one instrument and yeah <laughs> and you know as yeah. as a as a producer mm. it is quite important for you to yeah to, to have a, have a command on a and a on a few instruments and obviously be able to sing i think definitely um being sort of grafted into the music world from a young age it was you know the reason it's possible mm. came quite naturally to you yeah and it means that if i was to try and learn um, another instrument now and I, ha I have like a, such a fundamental that understanding of music that it would come a lot easier for me than for someone else yeah. Mm. and yeah because I, I you know I saw um, like a lot of your videos uh, that you do in in your space it's uh -huh. really cool space that you have <laughs> and you produce and you record all this stuff um, yeah I was, I was quite um, I was quite fascinated by just that whole setup you have that little mm. studio you know it's really cool um, so after you, um, you know, uh, started like, you know, getting into music, getting more serious with it, at what or what age or, or when did you start like performing in front um, of like crowds and all that? Yeah, yeah, again, so this is a hard, so as I said, like I grew up sort of in the metal world. So the mm -hmm. first, I guess, experience I had really performing in front of people mm -hmm. was in my middle band. Um, I had a band called East of Eden. Um, and we, when did we start? We started around 2009, um, and then we went all the way up to 2014, but we toured New Zealand and we did that kind of thing. And that, that sort of constituted my first, like on stage as a vocalist experience, um, getting to know what it's like as a frontman, interacting with the crowd, um, breath control, all these kind of things. Um, I learned from that. So when I came into hip hop, um, which was 2000 and late 2015, um, and started writing my own stuff and eventually performing. Um, it was not a new experience for me. I was like, I've done this before, just you know, a little bit differently. But back yeah. to that that first ever experience of yeah. like being in front of people. How yeah. how was that for you? Um, it was interesting. <laughs> the reason why it's hard to even call that the first is because I grew up in church. Okay. Um, and I was in church music band. So I had the experience <laughs> again of being in front of people every week yeah. playing music. So even going into this middle band, playing in front of people, I'm like, yeah, but it's still not that different to what I'm used to. I'm still used to people looking at me, me playing music. Um, so yeah, it's hard to say what the first experience was like, because it wasn't any That wasn't cut. really like the, yeah. the first one. but. You you seem like a very confident guy, and I don't <laughs> I don't think being in front of large crowds would pose a problem to you. No, it's not the size of the crowd; it's mm. who is in the crowd that um can get me nervous. Like if I, I know see. that if I'm playing a very high stakes gig, I think the most nervous I've ever been was a show back in 2018 called Going Global, mm. and that's a music conference put on by Independent Music New Zealand, and the whole point of it, um, the showcase 
part was where the artists come in and, and perform. The whole point of that is having a bunch of um, industry people from around the world in the in one sort of space and getting them to go between all the different bands playing. So like me playing there, I was aware that I'd be playing to different managers, booking agents, um, you know, people of that mm. caliber from around. And that that was like, oh, like the crowd was only like 50 or 60. Yeah. Like I've played to crowds much bigger than that. But for some reason, well, not for some reason, for that reason, <laughs> I was like, okay, man, you know, I really have to. There's a bit of pressure know, really there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's that kind of stuff that makes me nervous. But honestly, it makes me nervous right up until the point where the first quarter struck. As soon as the music starts, like, and I'm I'm playing, that those nerves just vanish. Mm. Yeah. And you know, you talk about like making your own music, uh, creating your own songs, and all of that. Mm. How do or what is the you know like? I'm not, I'm not very familiar with with the process, but like usually, if for example, if we talk say a, a fight, you know, mm. you train in the gym for yeah. a fight. Yeah. So like when you, what is the processes you have to create all this stuff? Like what what do you do? How do you get you know inspiration hmm. or like? Yeah. Um. So for me, because I started as an instrumentalist, more often than not, my initial ideas are always like uh, a melodic line or some kind of rhythm that will just be playing in my head. Um, and it will usually happen at the most inconvenient time. It will never happen when I sit down. I'm like, all right, today I'm going to write a song. It always happens when I'm like shopping for something or I've just gone to some meeting out like where I'm nowhere near my studio and I'm like, I've got this idea and, I and just, it hits you know, I've you. got hours until I get home. You know what I'm saying? Or like 3 a.m. Um, and I've just woken up and I need to go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, it's a good, that's a good melody. <laughs> it's always that that time. And so I have to figure out how to capture it. Usually just a voice note on my phone. Uh, and then, yeah, when I get a chance to sit down in the studio, I've got this m melodic line or this rhythm, and then it, I'm like, okay, what instruments will make sense of this? Like, is it is it a vocal line? Is it a guitar line? Is it a synth line? Is it a drum beat? Is it an 808 thing? Um, so I sort of play around with arranging it, giving it different textures, and when that starts to evolve, I'll get something like a, a beat to about a 60 to 70% skeletal kind of thing and i'm like okay this is enough for me to catch a lyrical vibe um determine what my vocals are going to start doing on it so i'll take the beat away maybe go for a few walks have my headphones on try and come up with a hook and, and a verse and stuff like that and once i sort of get the vocals pretty much 80 90 percent there i'll go back record a demo of the vocals go back to the beat and be like all right how is the how are the vocals and the beats synergistically working together what do i need to do to the beat to complement the vocals and then it becomes a kind of a, a process mm. like that. Like um, for people who aren't producer and um, lyricist mm. or a rapper, I understand it can be quite a different process. Like they'll they'll might have a whole song done and just find a beat which find which works with the song, or they'll look for a beat and once they've found a beat, they'll write a song to that beat. But for people who are usually like producers and vocalists at the same time, it's always this kind of evolving synergistic back and forth interplay of both because like you, your mind can't really commit to one because you have the power to change either so mm. yeah there's a lot of freedom there you know to, yeah and is, is do you do you think it's better to it has its it has its pros and cons so its pros in my view is that you end up making more musical pieces of work and what i mean by that is that usually when people listen to my music they're like it's not normal hip hop. Like it, there are sections to it. Like the music really sort of takes you somewhere 
Um, you use different chords, you use different rhythms, you you know, all these sort of different little quirks and different ideas that come in. Um, and that's a cool thing. Um, the main drawback, I think, is the the speed in which you can produce mm. and put, uh, put out work um, because you have to come up with the lyrics and um, the vocal rhythms and the vocal melodies and the beat and the production. That means that every song you put out sort of takes a little bit longer, whereas, you know, someone who's just a rapper, um, they just search for beats. Once they've got 10 beats, they're like, all right, I've got an album. All you need to do is write the songs. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm. Whereas with me, like I was like, I have to come up with 10 beats and 10 songs, you know? Um, so yeah, in, in that sense, like you can't output as much um, as quickly, I would say, as, yeah. And after you've got all, like you've done your stuff, um, how hard is it to like, uh, what are the, like the barriers to get the music out there? Like, I understand. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> this is um this is something that I, I don't fully understand. But I don't I, think anyone I, does. Yeah, I've heard a little bit here and there. I don't think anyone does. Maybe you can, you know. Yeah. Um, the barriers of getting it out there. Well, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Well, um, so I think the issue, one of the biggest issues at the moment, and I always forget this word, but Spotify, it's not called. Uh, um, a monopoly. It's not a monopoly. It's the reverse to a monopoly. So a monopoly is when um, you've got one company that's got so much market control that everyone has to buy to them. Now, the reverse of this, I think it's called like a monotony or something. Maybe No, that sounds wrong. But anyway, the reverse of that is where a company has got such market control that in order for you, if you're a seller, in order for you to sell your stuff, you have to sell it to them. That's what Spotify basically has over artists in most of the Western hemispheres, arguably apart from the US where Apple Music has a good market share as well. But basically in Aotearoa, Australia, Europe, if you're an artist and you don't have your music on Spotify, it's not going anywhere. So the issue is, okay, you're committed to Spotify, right? How do you make Spotify work for you? Well, you make Spotify work for you by either having, already having a giant fan base if you don't have that, if you're an indie artist on the come up and you want to cultivate a big fan base, what do you do? Oh, well, you obviously make playlists. You uh, Sorry, you make songs and you get them on these editorial playlists with thousands of listeners. And then your songs start to accumulate listens. People start to follow you. People start to engage with you and so on and so forth. Okay, easy. Just make a song that gets on a playlist. How do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like some of my songs get on there. Most of them don't. And the, the discouraging thing is like, if they don't get on there, it's pretty hard for that song to go anywhere. Um, unless you have a good two to $3,000 to sink into every song that you put out to um, put into Facebook ads and YouTube ads and all that to sort of generate sort of um, plays and streams that way. But if you don't have that, like most indie artists, <laughs> then it, it's hard. So well, I guess all you have to do is word of mouth. Um, the approach that I have been taking this year is um, frequent releases, frequent regular releases. So instead of the traditional model of, for example, you want to release an album, you might put out one single one month, second month you put out another single, third month you put out another single, then the fourth month you drop the album, right? That's the standard way of sort of doing it. Um, so you get like three singles that have some attention on it and then the album which might have six or seven more songs or something like that. Um, they, I've done that a couple of times with a couple of EPs. The issue I find is that 
you get you get some light on those singles, but then you have a good six, seven, eight other songs that you've spent just as long trying to get, you know, trying to um, construct and to to write and to, you know, do all this stuff with that don't really get any, like maybe one or two more might get some attention, but then you've got all these other songs that only your really, really dedicated fans are going to listen to and no one else is going to hear. So it was like, unless people are already waiting and expecting this album, what was the point in that album? Um, all of a sudden you've put a year's worth of work, you've put it out in a couple months and you're tired and you're you're done and you're like, okay, I need a break. I need to write some more and put some more out later. That used to work when you, the way you would get your music out there was through CDs, but now we're in a culture where, you know, it's streaming. We're in a culture where you've got thousands of songs being uploaded to streaming platforms every day that kind of model seems to be a bit insufficient now. So what I'm doing is I take the concept of an album and instead of dropping a couple singles and the rest of the music, I drop every single on that album mm. as a single every, for me, every two weeks. I believe there was an um, artist called Russ who had a model of doing every a single a week yes. for like two years or something that like was, that. That was how I, I came to my question. That yeah, I yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I guess for me, I thought a week would probably be too much. Yeah, that's like too short of a time frame. It's a yeah, lot of because, pressure. Because you're like, I like, you know, I have to give some time to actually promote the single. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it every week, you drop a single, you might promote it for a day. And then the next day you're like, all right, there's another single coming out soon. And then your promotion mm -hmm. seems like it all becomes one Jane, blur. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So two weeks gives, at least gives one song some time to breathe. I think that seems to be working quite well for me. So the, song that I just released yesterday was my fifth off this kind of... Of the album. This album, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've seen, like, I look at my Spotify metrics and I see, like, a steady kind of growth. Um, my listenership is going up, all that kind of stuff. And, and what I'm seeing is that because I'm always out there, I'm always releasing something, I'm, I'm in the industry's line of sight. So I'm, I'm hitting these grant opportunities, I'm hitting these show opportunities, I'm hitting these vlog opportunities because they're like oh yeah he's doing stuff oh, there he is with another song there he is with another this there he is with some photos what Ooh, there's another song there you know what i'm saying so active and like you know active and visible because at the moment you're competing with a highly saturated market so you just need to be on the ball hey guys stop letting your body go on in pain and feeling sore all the time man start putting some deposits in your health bank and take care of your vessel go get yourself an amazing massage gun from sharpened recovery it's a very affordable and lasts a long time. Highly recommended. It. it probably costs less than five meals outside and definitely cheaper than a pair of shoes. Instead of getting something that's going to be on your feet, why not get this massage gun to massage those feet and legs? Go to sharpenedrecovery.com and use the code ALICHANNEL for 20% off your guns. Yes, 20%. You can thank me later. So what are you waiting for, guys? Go get yourself some amazing gear. You were mentioning about like, you know, how Spotify sort of, you know, and that whole situation there. Yeah. Um, how important is it to like put your stuff out on other platforms like, um, you know, Apple Music, YouTube, and mm -hmm. then um, even like SoundCloud or this, that, whatnot. Like, do you really in this day mm. and age, you need to like spread it across or... I, man, I, I don't really know the answer to that. I think you disadvantage, like because most distribution services and um, organize, and companies, they just put your music out to everywhere anyway. I think you disadvantage yourself if you restrict mm. um, your music intentionally. 
Um, but that said, there are, like, for example, SoundCloud has its own, like, community and its own subculture and all that kind of stuff. And you can be very much a SoundCloud person. So for me, all I do is I put the music that I put out on other way. I just put on SoundCloud. I don't put any effort into marketing on SoundCloud, investing in that community, um, engaging with other, you know, it's a very social media-ish kind of platform. I don't put any effort into that. And so, like, obviously I don't see any really returns from that. But it is useful to have on there because the odd person will stumble on and be like, oh, this is cool. Um, but I think you do, I think there are obviously major players. There's Spotify's the major player, Apple Music's second. Um, and then you, you do have like Amazon and sort of Bandcamp's coming up as an alternative where it's not, you know, streaming. It's sort of the more traditional model of buying music again. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to have your stuff on all of there, but, um, not having your music on one of them is definitely not a deal breaker. Like you can blow up on any one of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, um, you know, talking about, you know, like la labels, management and stuff like that. Mm. How, um, is it, is it a must to like get with that or, mm. you know, to have a manager or a label or, you know, I go, I go to and fro on my opinion of this. Mm. Obviously there are examples of artists who have done it without, you know, label help or, um, even, even management, mm. um, there are disadvantages to that, but there are some advantages. So labels are obviously, there's no secret labels are in it for themselves. Um, the moment you sign to a label, you are sort of um, residing to the fact that, okay, this label is going to exploit my work. And uh, exploit has a lot of... Um, it's, a, it's a heavy word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has a lot of negative connotations. Yeah. But in the music world, exploit basically just means use for the advantage. So that label is going to use your music to sell and to get them money and you'll get royalties. So if your music does really, really, really well, that works for both of you. If it doesn't, you could get yourself in a tricky situation. Um, thankfully, in theory, labels have the ability to push your music a bit further than you might buy yourself. Um, so it's more of a chance that your music is going to do well. Um, as an indie artist, you obviously aren't tied down by a label saying, you know, we might need your music to sound like this. It should go, you, you know, you have a lot more autonomy, but then the trade-off is that you don't have the, typically speaking, you don't have the, um, networking capability. You don't have the broad reach that these labels have. Um, but you know, nowadays, like maybe like 20 years ago, um, nigh impossible to make it without a label. Now that we have the internet, everything is moving towards this peer-to-peer -peer thing, anything you could do could go viral. You could put out a song, goes viral on TikTok. I think that's how Old Town Road got really big. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like you don't need label and um, necessarily. Um, and there are definitely cases where labels recognize that, oh, wait, we need this artist more than they need us. So yeah, it's not, it's not necessary, but it can be difficult. Like I'm at the stage at the moment where I'm like, um, I would have loved to not organize last night show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> as much as I love playing it, I would have loved to just hand it off to someone and that person just being like, I got it, I'm doing all this kind of stuff. Masbo, you show up, you play the show, you go home. You know what I'm saying? Um, that would have been wonderful because that means that leading up to the show, I could have committed more of my time and more of my energy to producing more of the music than I'm being releasing, uh, releasing later doing my own practice in rehearsal, um, producing for other artists, something I also do. You know, like, 
it would have freed me up to do music, which is the thing I'm supposedly doing. But instead, like I was bogged down with a lot of admin, um, emailing stakeholders, um, preparing, like I do all my own graphics, I do my own posters, I plan my own social media, I'm always in everyone's face. I'm literally DMing people, bro, <laughs> buy your ticket. Like I'm in people's DMs. They got so angry with me, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, I'm doing what I'm just, but you know, like having a team to do that would be great. But, um, you know, like, yeah. So it can, yeah. It that, can that's just you. how it is. Like, mm. you know, the landscape here, You, it's hard to, Yeah. you kind of have to do it, but you know, from your experience of doing that, it's like, that's a, a job of a whole team. Yeah, yeah, man, it, it really is, it really is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, having to do that and perform yourself, like... Yeah, and it's funny because lot. every time I run, because I've been running shows since 2017. I remember I had a conversation with the artists because I was like, why am, I getting, why am I not getting any shows? And they were just like, run your own shows. I'm like, yeah, actually, why don't I do that? So I started running my own shows back in 2017 for the purpose of just putting me on there. Mm. Run a show, make sure I'm on the bill, boom, I have a show. Um... It got to the point where I'm like, okay, actually, I never want to play a show that I'm running because the stress is too much. Mm. Um, and it's funny because every time I have run a show that I play on, I'm like, never again. It's never going to happen. But then I, get the, <laughs> then I get in a position where I'm like, well, I kind of I just have to do it. Like, no one's going to run my Auckland show for me. Mm. I wouldn't have had an Auckland show if I didn't run it. So I was like, oh, well, here what, we go. Why are they not... Uh, since you mentioned about that, why are there not uh, much people out there who are doing this, like running these events and shows? There are. Um, it's just that I haven't managed to line up with them. Mm. Yeah. Um, goodness knows why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If any, if any promoters or booking agents, you know, like please, <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Do, but, do it for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I actually have a really cool booking agent. His name's um, Ruben from Banished, and he's been doing some great work for me. But um, yeah, I I would love a broader team for sure. Yeah. Um, so talking about um, you know, like getting trying to line up other people. You know, um, how hard is it to get like other? Uh, do you need to have like a certain uh, theme or or do you not really does it not really matter when like, it when it comes to putting artists on your yeah on on a particular show yeah do you have a, a process like you have to have certain type of music or yeah well for me personally like you want someone who there's enough overlap between both of your styles or both of your sort of messages or cope up so such that um their audience when they see you are probably going to be interested in you mm. and so on and so forth you know the cross-pollination of of fans but you want them to be different enough so that you can't like so that you just don't have the same fan bases mm. you know like you have other people being like oh i haven't heard of it or you know i haven't listened to this guy um so it's that that's a tricky balance um sometimes you can go too far one way or too far the other way uh, so it's just experimentation but then also you like you're just limited by your networks as well. Like for me, like it's not as if I have a pool of every artist in New Zealand. I can be like, oh, you, you, you. Ultimately, is who I know. Like I'm going to hit up, like nine times out of 10, I'm going to hit up who I know just because it's easier. Like, they're going to reply to me. They're more <laughs> likely to say yes, less likely to be skeptical of my ability to run. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is, yeah, is constricted by 
multiply your network and your relationships. So. Back to the uh, point you were saying about like promoting yourself on social media, um, just to get your name out there, mm. you know, get people to know you and all stuff like that. How hard is it like for you? Do, um, you know, as someone who likes to focus on like your craft mm. and what you're doing, and then to also be like a businessman, yeah, or you know, to be like a advertising agent yeah, of your yeah, own, yeah, yeah, yeah. How 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 has that been for you? Like um, trying to push your stuff on socials and all that. Yeah, it's it's hard, but I mean, I recognize it's something that not only artists and musicians deal with, but it's like anyone who gets into business has to play a multifaceted role at the start because you you know you don't have the luxury of just employing departments off the bat. Um but yeah, like I guess now that I'm a few years in, it is still a little bit frustrating that I'm having to put so much energy into um doing all that stuff. And it's simply because the return that you get from music is not like now some people might flame me for this, but I'm gonna say the return that you get from music is not like other business. Um if you're in a business where you're selling products or you're selling services, um, in general, you're at least going to see some stuff sort of coming in for your investments. Even if you're not breaking even, you're going to see. With music, the return on investment is tiny. Unless like unless you've really broken mm. the return. Like what what we get from Spotify and 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 Apple and YouTube is is n- you're not getting anything, man. Like the money that you are getting is coming back from shows and like last year what was happening with shows nothing so what are we like and it's funny because we you know we we're so in the industry we're like you know you need to be doing music videos like music videos 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 these videos cost tens of thousands of dollars yeah. people watch them on youtube you might get like a thousand views on youtube that's not going to even give you a few cents <laughs> where did your ten thousand dollars go so you need to have a very much a, a, a long-term brand development investment mindset and you just have to trust that one day these things are gonna pay back now the issue with that is that one day is over here but right and right now your funds are here you know what i'm saying but you need your funds to be here to employ all these people so that's the issue that so you you get people who are independent um who are like okay i'm at the stage where i do need all these teams but i can't pay you right so what's the solution for that you get a label who has that capital who can put that stuff in they can say okay i will invest this in you and this and this and this in you right all sounds very well but you better hope your music does well (laughs) because that that, all that money is not free you know that it's a loan you know what's what's the um like what's what's the cut or what's uh like how, how do these labels operate or um I've never had a major label deal, but I have heard of major label deals offering like a 10% royalty, 20% royalty. So what that means is that um, of the of 100 bucks that you make, the label takes 80 or 90 bucks and you take 10. Whoa, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know- That's the, like a big percentage, man. Yeah, yeah, but- uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and that's why it's like, when it comes to major labels, it's generally considered. So when you can sign, when you sign like to a major label, mm-hmm. um, there's this thing called an advance, right? And that's basically the initial loan that you get from the label. And what that loan is, is it's to record, it's to produce the music. So, for example, it could be a million, could five hundred dollars. Here's this amount of money to record the music that is going to make us the the main money, but it's also 
the money that you live on because you're not going to see any any mon- any other money potentially for another couple of years. You know what I'm saying? Like because you, you yeah. put you put a million bucks into an album, you better you better live off the rest that you don't use on the album because um unless you're making like unless you're making a whole bunch of money back, you're not you're not even going to repay repay that million because a lot of I think now I think this is right some people might correct me but my understanding is some label deals are like we take a hundred percent of the money until you've paid us back that million or how that how we're advanced, and then mm. after that's when we take that's when you start getting your ten percent. <laughs> don't, don't even worry about your royalties. You know what I'm saying? Until we get that million back, and then you start getting. You know what I'm saying? So like that's that's what I'm saying. So that's why you need to milk your advance because that's all you're gonna see. Damn. Then that's why it's like you better pray that your music does well. You better pray that you didn't just get a million dollar advance and your music went nowhere because you're in a situation where you're that label a lot of money. How are you going to give the label money? Oh, I'm going to produce another album. Oh, it costs more money. Mm. Might need to top up my loan. That's how that's how artists get really screwed, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's a crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, you watch like you know a lot of documentaries and movies, and you know saying like telling stories but they don't really go into detail yeah bro. when you find out about these things it's crazy how you know yeah like and that said. is why that is why actually the most wealthy artists are not making most of their money off music the most wealthy artists have built up their brands to a point where they can leverage their name to use other business uh, use another business adventure and make their make their good like diddy what has Diddy put out in the last while? You know what I'm saying? But he's like, what, the second richest? Or he might even be the richest. Because he got his name to a point. It was like, okay, Diddy's cool. Right, now look, Diddy's got this other brand. Oh, yeah, you know, let me buy that product. Or Rih- Rihanna, Fenty. You know what I'm saying? Like every, Or like sponsorships. Like music is not the music is not the thing that gets you the money. Music makes these labels money. The artists, what they get from music is the brand. Like, some, like obviously, like someone like Justin Bieber... Yeah. Like whose sales he what, like like two billion three billion streams he's making money off music for sure yeah, music, but yeah. I guarantee you that's not his main source of income yeah, yeah bro because that it kind of that's what like they use to get themselves out there exactly they, they have all the other which is brings me to like what we were saying just now about Russ and what he was saying about why he doesn't have a label mm-hmm. and he did a there was a video I watched like quite some time back but he just gave like a breakdown an explanation of when an artist makes a certain amount of money, why they don't actually make that money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and a lot of artists, like, you know, we talk on a, on a global thing where yeah. they get into a lot of trouble with, like, uh, you know, with the tax and, like, not knowing how to, you Dude, know. Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> so you might, man, like, you might be playing sold-out stadium shows every week, but once the label takes their cut, management takes the cut, Booking agents, um, you split it between the band, tax, um, all bunch of stuff, costs. You know what I'm saying? Like you might not have that much. Like I know, um, I know of stories of um, people who've been in bands who are playing stadiums and they're living off like 25, 50 bucks a week. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just yeah. like you know, like yeah, it's it's a very um, there's lots of smoke and mirrors in, in the industry for sure, um, and it's very much a case of um, your brand 
being the more powerful thing to use elsewhere. And even it's not even on a huge scale, even on my scale right now. Um, it, like I've made more money from producing for other people than I have from streams and stuff of my own music. Mm. People come to me to be produced because I'm Mesbo Q, right? So I've leveraged my name to do something else that makes me money, right? So I can I can see how that model continues. And the more that my name sort of increases, the more that other opportunities, the more that brands are going to come be like, oh, we want Mesbo-Q on our thing. We're going to pay Mesbo-Q 100,000 bucks just to sell our product. 100,000 bucks. Wow. That's more than I've made in my entire, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I, yeah, I definitely think that's, it's understated how much that is a thing. Yeah. What is, what is the music industry like? Here in Aotearoa. <laughs> um, it's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I can only really speak from my experience. And my experience is one of... I feel like um, Aotearoa has quite a narrow... I'm going to say like a narrow path or lane of what they sort of think is pushable or what they think is what they assume that the, the the mainstream crowds are going to enjoy and like um and if you sort of deviate out that a little a little bit you're not really gonna go so um i always tell this to people because and it's partly because of our population partly i also think there are some cultural issues but partly because of our small population if you fall out of the mainstream and you fall into some niche crack right and you're like oh i'm not really making middle of the road music i'm making a little bit different music but you know some other people might like it if that's you and you're in the states that has a population of 350 million your niche market could be a million people now if a million people are all listening all streaming your music or paying for your gigs or doing you can make a living mm. you can be like there are tons of um tons of artists in america that we have not heard of who are easily easily making a living off their music with no problems who who will never see on the billboard you know what i'm saying but they have a niche audience of a million even five hundred thousand, who are sustaining them right now what ha what happens when you have a niche sort of fan base in a population with five million people maybe a thousand if you're lucky 500 that's your niche like what are 500 people gonna do for you like it's great like yeah. it's great having 500 human beings that love your music but they're not gonna finance you right they can't do that so i think what you find in in new zealand is that you got all these people who are who start off being like yeah man, i'm gonna you know i'm gonna make music how i like it and then they realize that it's not sustainable at all so they sort of gravitate towards this middle of the road i mean that happens all over but i think it, it's more this effect and phenomenon is more pronounced in smaller markets because they realize okay in order to do anything like i need to toe the line at least for a while <laughs> until yeah until the you gatekeepers point, sort of right? let me in yeah yeah which which can be which can be a little bit discouraging if like you know you have your own style you want to push your own style but yeah you sort of, in a way, you sort of get you get pushed to a corner. Yeah. Where you're like, man. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. have, I have to kind of like, you know. Yeah. Sort of get in line with it if I really want to like make anything out of it. You know? Yeah, and I think I think the frustrating thing is though that, and this is why I was saying it's not entirely a population thing; it's partly a cultural thing. There's this issue of tastemakers 
being the same people who say that they are um, just being like receivers for what the crowd likes. So um, they say, oh, well, no, the crowd likes this. So they push this kind of music. But they don't realize that in pushing that kind of music, they're telling the crowd what to like. Um, mm. So mainstream radio in, in Aotearoa is very notorious for this. Like I, I always ask myself, what is the reason that you are not playing at least 80% New Zealand music? What is the reason? You cannot tell me it's not because there's not enough. There is enough. There are plenty of artists making good music, right? Why are we still playing 20-year-old American music? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why do mm. we need to wait for May? New Zealand Music Month to play 50%. Uh, there is a New Zealand Music Month? You, you didn't even know it? <laughs> what? That's what I'm saying, bro. So, like, we, we've got one month that we supposedly dedicate to to backing New Zealand music. The rest of the year, we we might give a token 10 to 20%. I mean, there's some radio stations and blogs that are really trying to push it, but in terms of the mainstream radio stations, they're not doing anywhere near enough. Um, and I don't think they realize what that actually does. We we see how powerful it can be for the like for New Zealand artists when radio and media gets behind them. Six sixty plays five or six stadium shows every. They're the first, the first musical act to play Eden Park. Mm. That is that is insane. Like no global act has done that, and that is pretty much because the for whatever reason, the radio stations a, are like, let's play six sixty every day. <laughs> five times six times a day yeah right you got people who listen to them they're like oh, i don't really like 660 660 but oh look i know all of their songs okay i'm gonna go to the gig yeah you know what i'm saying like that's the power of the radio getting behind an artist so i'm like why why aren't you just doing that for everyone mm. right like you can't say oh people just don't like new zealand music that's not true people don't hear new zealand music if all you heard on your car trip to work and back home was New Zealand music, that's what you will like. Bro, you just said it. You just said it. That's bro. what you will like, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's what you that's what you'll know. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, this artist that I'm listening to every day is playing a show for 15 bucks down the road. I love them. I'm gonna go watch them. Right now, you friggin' approach your average Joe or Tom or Sarah on the street and you'd be like, yo, you know, what when have you last been to a local show? They're like, oh, Local show? What you mean a concert? <laughs> you mean like six sixty? No, not six sixty. Oh, you mean at LAB? No, like they there are five bands that they you know might have gone to, but no one goes to local shows. But you would if all the music that you listen to all the time that's bombarded to you, um, that you see is being played by local artists. You would go to local shows, of course you would, because it's the music you love, right? Um, so it, it's it's quite insane to me that we have like these radio stations that aren't do like. It make you know eighty to ninety percent should be New Zealand music, and if that happens, watch the industry transform absolutely transform. Hey guys, Ali here. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your love and your support. If you're not already on board, please do follow us on here and share it with your friends and family. If you prefer a visual experience, our videos are actually up on YouTube at the Ali channel. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and share, and leave a comment or feedback if you like. And also you can follow us on our socials at the underscore Ali underscore channel for Instagram and on our Facebook page at the Ali channel. We'll see you soon and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Why is it, is there any particular reason that like the radio stations are not pushing more of the local music? 
I yeah. What, what is the rationale anyone, behind it, man? If anyone figures that out, let me know. Um, <laughs> again, I think I suspect it's not having the awareness that you are a tastemaker as being like a, if you're a radio programmer, you're not just someone who has your finger on the pulse of what is hot right now. You're deciding that. I don't think people are aware of that enough. They might like a lot of people sort of know but i don't think they realize like how powerful it is to be like this song is on the a rotate because you you hear you hear what's going on you hear what's popular overseas you're like oh yeah it's popular overseas it must be popular here no it's popular here because you put it on the radio and it's playing every day that's why it's popular here right so they think they're just being conduits of what is really popular but they're actually like constructing the narrative of what's popular i've heard before um someone on the radio say uh, make some comments about this mm. about he was trying to push more uh, of like the local artists and the local music mm. right and there were some like restrictions or uh yeah some limitations like they didn't want to i don't i don't know if they yeah okay well i actually just thought of something else mm. um so obviously listenership is a big thing, right? Um, making money through adverts. So if you, if for example, one radio station radically changed such that they all of a sudden started playing 80 to 90% New Zealand music. And for a while, because that's what New Zealanders aren't used to, they're like, mm, not feeling this. Let me go listen to all my favorite American songs from 20 years ago on this other radio station. All of a sudden that radio station loses 50, 60, 70% of its listener base loses, like, advertisers don't want to advertise, that radio station loses money, right? So it makes sense that they don't want to do that. They want to stay competitive. So the only way that this is going to work is if, for example, it's put into law and every radio station simultaneously has to do this. Because if it's just left up to, like, the prerogative of these radio stations, they're, they're kind of stalemating each other, right? Um, because naturally if you if your favorite radio station all of a change all of a sudden suddenly changes um you're instinctively going to be like i'm i'm not really about this like i i like what i'm used to you know what i'm saying but um that's only for a time you know that's only for a time like we've all experienced the phenomenon of hearing a song once and being like i don't really like this song hear it for the 10th time all of a sudden you're singing it and then <laughs> hear it for the 20th time damn this is my song <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, if you, bro, Gangnam Style, why did, why was that the biggest song in the world? I promise you it was not the biggest song in the world because it was a great song. <laughs> I promise you it was not. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, but yeah. Oh, like, no. so there's this saying, like, people don't like, mm. it's crazy. Like, this really, really blew my moment. Right? I was like staring at the wall for a while. Someone was like, bro, people don't like music. People like popularity. I did think about that. I'm like, mm. what does that mean? I'm like, then so a light bulb went off and I'm like, no, that's true. Like the, if something has clout behind it, people are way more likely to, you know what I'm saying? Way more likely to, um, jump, jump on that, jump, shit. jump on it, you know? Um, so that's what I'm saying. Like in order, how do you, how do you create that clout? You know, you, you push it and. Sorry, just give me a second. Yeah, all good. Yeah. 
man, that is so true. What you're saying about you know, yeah, if there's cloud, you know, yeah, just jumping for the, jumping on that ship there, which is like, with a lot of things as well, like you know, talking about the Gangnam Style, mm. like, cause it had that, you know, the, it was funny. It was this thing that this guy was doing. Mm. And I think more than the music itself it was the guy and the thing he was doing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And they created that movement, and yeah. everybody just. Kind of, it was like memeified almost. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, But that it was still decided essentially that that was like, it's, it's not completely one way or the other. It is a sort of synergistic thing of deciding that it's cool and it kind of being cool and those kind of things working together. But you definitely need the, the fact of deciding it's cool. So one thing I always think about at the moment, because I used to be a lot more traditionally African with my music when I was Unchained Excel, I was very much like all of the traditional African high life stuff came through in my music to the point where a lot of the features I got on were other African New Zealanders who were bilingual, who spoke their native tongue. And I'm like, I'd love for you to sing or rap in your native tongue on my language, because how cool would it be to have an African language on mainstream using radio right so i create these songs i get told oh like we like it but we're not sure how accessible it is because you know it's not in english i'm like at the at the start i'm like oh no that makes sense but then i was like wait a minute i turned on the radio and what was i listening to despacito (laughs) what okay uh uh uh-huh so oh, do we do we speak goodness. Spanish in Altero? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, like because that was the like that was a popping song. So all of a sudden, it doesn't even matter that it's in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, people don't really realize that like you, it's not a matter of it being popular. You kind of have to, you just have to jump behind it. You know, if it's cool, if you if you think it's cool, push it. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be like, oh, what are, what are other people? You know, this is the man. This is what I think about. Like, you know like pushing you know the locals or pushing people around you I, I don't know why it's it's a thing like people always struggle you know it's always yeah. heavy mm. to share or to you know to to push yeah. the local guys you always want to push that you know the big names yeah. the popular guys and stuff yeah. like that but and then which in a lot of ways i put it this way like uh, okay um for example uh, a person that i can name would be like Israel, Israel Adesanya, yeah. right? Izzy's, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, in his story, like when he was up and coming and all yeah. that, like not a lot of people here, mm. you know, wanted to talk about him or mm-hmm. push him or like, you know, of course, yeah. for many reasons and yeah. for one of them being because he looks different. Yeah, or, yeah. Know, he's not, not the same color, mm. or, you know, that sort of thing. And then now to like where he is, mm. And suddenly you see, you know, everybody wants yeah. to get a slice of that cake. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like you look at that and I like his, he's trying to change. Um, there was something he said to me just recently as well. I'm really trying to uh, look at or limit who I talk to, mm. you know, which the organizations and whatever that he talks to as well, mm. which I think is... It's in what he's saying. There's a lot. There's a lot behind that mm. um, that statement that he made, and I was like, you know, he's he's trying to push a, a message of his own as well. Mm. You know, like, and I think that's that's hopefully that helps. You mm. know, um, to push other people to kind of yeah, because 
you know, you can't wait for someone to get to yeah. that point, you know. And like, you know, look at it this way in 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 like music, for example, like it's going to be hard for like, you know, the young artists, the new artists who want to come in. There's just like so, there's so, so much barriers now, you know, yeah. like, or stuff that's stopping them from. Yeah. And, you know, like there could be a lot of great artists, you know, but because of how the the landscape is here, yeah, they just get like shut down mm. real early. And that was why I was asking about you know what's the industry like here, um, and you know, it's it's tough, man. It's tough if if you don't you know if you people local people don't support the people around them, like, yeah. Yeah, man. I try and push that. I try and every time I play a show or have an interview, I try and make a point of saying it is so important for people to go to these local shows and support the local musicians because all these musicians um, that you love to see, that you pay 300 bucks a ticket for to go see at Spark Arena or wherever um, from overseas, they were once at the local level and they only rose because they had a community of people who were mm. dedicated to supporting them. Um, around them so like if you want to see Aotearoa artists doing that locally and overseas you have to do the same thing um, you have to go to these local and it's quite it's quite insane like I was thinking about this like yesterday or no actually I've been thinking about this for a long time but sort of it, it, it heightened in my mind yesterday like I was like online tickets to my show were 15 bucks mm. right 20 bucks at the door um, and I'm like, when I think about the thousands of thousands of hours that have gone into me learning how to play music, the thousands and thousands of dollars gone into me producing, recording, um, mixing, mastering that music, marketing that music, um, the hours of effort I put on to planning the show, executing the show, marketing the show, I'm like... And then I'm selling, and then it's not just me on the bill. It's another artist who's also put their thousands of hours into doing what they do. Um, DJs who've, you know, done all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you guys get to come and experience this for 15, 20 bucks. Some of you guys won't pay that money because you're like, 20 bucks is a bit too steep. I'm like, bro, like, <laughs> you will go and buy a burger for $22. Eat it in half an hour and never remember that thing again. Never even think of like, like you to ask ask someone what burger they ate two years ago. They're never gonna tell you because they don't know, right? But you, if they go to a show and they like the music, they're gonna remember that for a long time. Maybe the rest of their lives if the show is good enough. So I'm like, why is it hard to get people to come and experience this thing? A that can sort of stay with you forever. B that it's taken so many different, so much talent, so many, so many hours from different people putting in. To, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it costs 20 bucks and you won't pay that money. I, I was like, really? Like what people got last night, should, they should have paid way more than that for. But the reality is if you charge way, no one's going to do it. Um, mm. But it's kind of crazy, right? It's kind of yeah, crazy to think about. What, what do you... Where? What do you pay for, like, a ticket to go to Spark Arena? 100, 150 bucks at least or something crazy like that? cheap seats, bro. Yeah. <laughs> for the cheap seats at Spark Arena, yeah. It's like way up at the bank, 150, 160 saying. bucks. That's what I'm saying, yeah. That's me. 15 bucks probably cheaper than a drink. Dude, 
<laughs> 15, like, I was thinking about it. I was like, 15 mm. bucks is an absolute joke. Mm. Like, what? Yeah, man. Like, I routinely spend more mm. than that on food. You know, mm. routine. Without even thinking, I'll be like, oh, 18 bucks, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's like a, man. Even worse, like, even worse when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to, like, buying music. Mm. Bro, the whole reason why iTunes um, was subsumed, I think that's the word, subsumed by like Apple Music, mm. streaming platforms, streaming, subsumed, purchasing music. The whole idea be is because the consumer is able to pay a subscription and get an infinite number of songs, mm. as many songs as they want, right? They don't have to pay a whole, oh my gosh, a dollar for a song? I can't believe that. That's crazy. <laughs> why, would I, why would I pay a dollar for this song that took $20,000 to record, um, market, and, and you know, put together, it took so much hours of, of songwriting, um, producing, um, skill development, artist development, all this kind of stuff goes into one song, put it up there. Why would I pay a dollar for it? That's crazy. I'll go out, by the way, and pay five bucks, ten bucks for like the most average coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not even think twice about it, but a dollar for a song? No way. That's crazy. Don't don't give me that. I, I need to pay twelve dollars. I need to get. A hundred thousand songs, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, bruh, like it's actually the craziest. And the the nuts thing is, you pay five bucks for this coffee. You have the coffee is done. It is done. You pay a dollar for the song. You have that song forever. You know, forever. And I'm and people like struggle with that. people struggle with it such that there needs to be another model that you know, you know, like. Is that is that you know? I think maybe that's also why the, the the reason why streaming plat platforms have been like doing really well. Oh, it is. It's, it's because of the it benefits the consumer. Yeah, mm, definitely. Mm. Yeah, people people rather jump on on that. But yeah, you know, back to what he said about like you know people struggling to pay fifteen dollars for a ticket. But you know, for example, if like a big name yeah from, from overseas yeah comes, pay ten times that yeah if, way more than yeah. ten times that. yeah yeah it's crazy. Um, yeah, but the, yeah, and the thing is, like, the music is not necessarily always way better in quality. Mm. You know, you put some of these local artists on those big stage stages, they're going to make music just as good slash better than some of these people. But it's been decided that it's been <laughs> it's been decided by the radios in New Zealand that these artists are the hottest thing ever, right? So when they come here, you're like, oh, well, I need I need to see them. This is my song. This is my artist. Talking about that, you know. With with the launch of all these other platforms like you know Spotify this mm. that whatnot, how much impact does radio have now? You know these days, would you say still the same or not as much? Not definitely not as much impact. So a mm. radio has been it's still a lot, still more than I think we we um we give credence to, but definitely not as much. Um, now we have like the Illuminati of Spotify curators or mm. Apple Music <laughs> Apple Music creators. Whoever they are, and they they decide what music is. Popular. Who to put where and what what playlists and what. Exactly. Yeah, this was what I was going to ask. So, um, yeah. So that is it. Essentially, there's like a team who does that, or do they look at like the numbers? Or I I have no idea. Um, from what I understand, mm. um, it is partly algorithm based and it's partly um human discretion. So, I I think like you you, you um. As an artist, you sort of pitch your music and then real humans will listen to it. 
as that's what they tell us. And um, these humans are like, yes, this song is good enough for me to put on this playlist here. Mm. Um, and then from what I understand, after that, um, depending on how well that song song does, the algorithm will, will change its position in the playlist from week to week or whatever, drop it out or, you know, that kind of stuff. So it is both of those are working together, but it's definitely the human component. And it's definitely not like this kind of unbiased selection process. It's not this thing of people being like, I'm going to blindly listen to all these songs and whichever one tickles my fancy and putting on. It's definitely <laughs> like some labels have biggest way. Mm. I think, I think labels have actual stocks on Spotify. So labels can be like, yo, our artists like get first dibs, which I mean, you can't really blame them for, but it's like, if, because it's their system and they can do what they want. But again, that's a problem with monopolies because, you know, if, if you're if you're a monopoly and the only way to survive is to go through you, then if you have the mentality of, well, it's our system, you can, you're free to go anywhere else. No, but we're not really free. Mm. We're not really free to go anywhere else. It's, so, it's sort of like, you know, when brands or products want to sell their stuff at a supermarket, like you, you can't pay more to have it on the eye level shelf, yeah, right? You yeah. know, instead of having it right on the bottom, mm. <laughs> all the way up top, and nobody can reach yeah. the shit. You know, like yeah. you think about it, it's crazy. There's um, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of stuff that we, you know, we might not know, or what's like, me, like I might not know a lot of things, but yeah. like, when I when I think about it and you dig deep into it, like I actually get quite surprised, you know, mm. by, by a lot of this stuff. Um, man, it's very interesting, very interesting. Um. The other thing, you know, I want to ask about like um, the is, you know, the recent uh, single that you released, uh, which came out, was it seven? Was it yesterday? Don't don't Start Regardless? Yes, yeah, Don't yeah. Start Regardless, yes. Yeah. Um, and I like the the visuals for that. And, you know, we were just talking about how it takes, you know, to spend a lot of money on producing yeah, the videos yeah. and this, that, whatnot. I like the theme for that. Uh, could you tell us a little bit of the theme of the song? And yeah, absolutely. So the song itself um, envisions a hypothetical time traveler from a dimension where Africa is liberated, free, um, socialist and, and prosperous and all that kind of thing. I guess for, for people who haven't imagined that kind of thing, Wakanda is a good way of thinking of it. Um, so a time traveler from there sort of comes into our present and they are tasked with um, providing messages of encouragement for Africans in our diaspora at the moment. So for people like me, like um who have an african identity who have sort of thought about like what would it be like if, if africa could be um amazing um those that time traveler comes back and says yo keep fighting for this for your continent keep fighting for your homeland organize together um fight for justice keep marching for all the george floyds keep marching for all the NSARS stuff keep marching for the situation in ethiopia and so on and so forth. keep fighting for justice because one day um, there will be freedom for the continent and it will be awesome and amazing and it'll be everything that you want it to be but you have to keep fighting and don't stop regardless of the obstacles or you know the challenges that you face in the way um so that's what the song the song is written from the perspective of that time traveler and the message is that um so the visuals that accompany it that are coming on tuesday um that is like a mini documentary that in that i guess in a way captures part of that time traveler's mission so part of the mission is that time traveler comes to Aotearoa and he appears to a few creatives of African descent here mm -hmm. gives them 
visions of that future Africa. And then those creators go away and, and are inspired by it and then create these works. So, and where the documentary comes in is like, they interview these creators and, the, and ask the question, now that you've seen this future Africa, what does it mean for you? What is it? What is it? And, and, the, and the beauty of it is everyone speaks from their own very real, very personal experience of having African descent. And um, what I have done in this doco is that I have been very careful with who I've selected as these creatives. I've selected people who are all members of the African diaspora, but with different experiences. So one person who spent a few years in their home country. Um, so they've got a very real connection, not a real, but a very sort of immediate connection with their homeland, right? Um, they know the language and, you know, it, it's right there. And then I've got someone who's more like me, who sort of was basically born here. Um, so their identity is more wrapped up in this sort of African Kiwi duality. Um, and then I've got someone who's of, um, whose ancestors were enslaved. Um, and they are descended from, you know, those of those enslaved people. So three different, three radically, well, not radically, actually, yeah, three radically different diaspora, diasporatical diasporical experiences <laughs> um and three different ways in which a future africa would have cha would change their life you know um and then yeah the doco explores that wow that's yeah. that's like a a story behind yeah just that couple of minutes it's like a whole story behind that's really cool man yeah um can i ask like who are some of the artists that like you you know uh, take inspirations from or you know who you look up to um, around the world? Yeah. Um, so I guess the artist that I sort of pushed me along the path that I um, am going at the moment um, would be Sean Kuti, um, son of the legendary fella Kuti. Mm. Um, Jidenna uh, Manifest. Um, I'm going to say Tobi and Wewe as well. So they're all like sort of African, Afrocentric sort of hip-hop artists who have this sort of um, conscious like pan-african-ish sort of um flavor to what they do and and they've got this you know um always slanted towards liberation slanted towards justice but they're also the the way in which they communicate these messages is very like modern and somewhat accessible and and fresh and all that kind of stuff they're still very much cool the cool hip-hop artists are cool like afrobeat artists like they and they, they appeal to people but they are putting these messages and then they've got this mm. sort of aesthetic of you know, Afrofuturism, freedom, um, liberation, all this kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's very much where I want to go down. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned Fela Kuti and how I got to know about, uh, like, him and his music mm. was um, through Anthony Joshua, who's uh, oh, yeah. the boxer, and he walked out to the song. Oh, Fela Kuti's and song, yeah. uh, when I heard that song, immediately mm. I was like, man, I fell in love with that, man. Yeah. And then I started to listen to all his music. Mm. And it's crazy how I got to know about his music from boxing. Obviously, I, li I listened to a lot of African yeah. music, like on Spotify, mm. like African Hate, No Hala, you know, all yeah, this, yeah, this playlist are constantly on my, yeah. you know. But Felicity wasn't on there, mm. you know. And then when I when I got to know uh, from AJ's, oh, well, yeah, I was yeah. like, yo, yeah, man, I love his music. Yeah, well, I guess um, like I think of Fela Kuti as the Bob Marley of Africa. Yeah, of, you know what I'm saying? Like people who listen to modern reggae now, mm. um, like coffee and and or like um, dancehall and stuff like dancehall kind of music. Um, that all that's all because of Bob Marley and his era. 
like that that's the music that influenced this music mm. so like all the the Noah Hala the, the Wizkid the Davido the, the um, um, what's his name Burner Boy and all that kind of yeah. stuff they all have fellow Kuti to, to thank mm. um, but yeah it, it's very, it's a different very much a different style it's an, it's an evolved style but yeah they're at the root Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, man, well, I don't want to keep you on for too long. Um, we've come to the section now. Wise words from the wise <laughs> men. Some mm. people who are watching, listening. Um, what advice? What advice? Um, yeah, uh, there are probably two two things. Um, one thing is for like artists who are sort of getting into it and wondering like how they how they approach like songwriting and um, how they approach sort of uh, making music and and how they can sort of make music unique and stuff. I always and I always encourage people and exhort people to um, explore themselves and become increasingly self-aware and never stop the the journey to to know themselves better. Because once you do that, you will make more radically authentic music, and that's the kind of music that people are going to gravitate towards a, a story that is authentic. Because when people people sort of know instinctively what's authentic and what's not and they sort of lean towards the authenticity because they they see where it overlaps with their own story so for me that was getting real with the fact that i've got this complex african new zealand identity um what does it mean how does it affect my life what's it going to um, mean for my future for my future generations as i unpack that story i get not only african new zealanders that are interested but i get people of other ethnic backgrounds who have their duality experience as well because they're like whilst i'm not african i I resonate with the fact that, you know, he's got two cultures that he's trying to figure out. Um, I, me too. You know what I'm saying? So that me being authentic with myself, me being vulnerable with myself invites other people in who have an overlapping experience um, in different spheres and they take interest in it. Um, so that would be that would be the thing. And and on it's just an amazing journey for yourself. You like you grow, you you become a more complete person when you, you know, learn about yourself. Um so that'll be the first thing. The second thing would be like again the the conversation we just had, the needs to really invest in Aotearoa music, New Zealand music. You have and it's it's something that you have to be intentional to. You have to make the 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 choice to do it. In the same way that we make the choice to be conscious consumers, we make the choice to be like, oh, you know what, this piece of clothing um was probably not manufactured by manufactured ethically and i'm not saying that listening to like music from america is on the same part as buying non-ethical clothes that's, that's not what i'm saying at all but i'm i'm drawing a parallel to the intentionality to which you need to make the change if you want to help transform the new zealand music industry you have to be like nope let me not listen to this today let me give my time and attention give my streaming money give my airplay time to this new zealand artist even though i know it's going to be more popular to do this even though i feel like i'm missing out here even though i feel like you know it's not going to be as cool i'm not going to be seen as cool i'm going to do this because ultimately i i see the end goal and i see it's going to help you know like we have to be conscious consumers of new zealand music i think conscious consumers of local music um because yeah that will that will transform our industry um like i say like you spend a little money here and there on shows you help build these artists up to one day be the artists that you know cost 300 bucks to, you know to see um and yeah i think i just think it would be a beautiful thing to build up 
the culture and the mana of New Zealand to, to have a flourishing music scene here. And I'm not saying it's not flourishing. In many ways it is, but it could be way more. Better. Way, way. Bigger, more. better. Yeah. Way more. Way more, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so um, besides the, you know, your, your plans to put out music, um, you know, a single every two weeks that you already told us about, what are some of the other future plans that you have or that you're working on? Or when is the next show that you think <laughs> you're going to be putting yeah, on? Yeah, man, I... I don't know. Um, so when obviously when I finish this two weekly thing, um, my plan is to redistribute all the songs that I put out as as an album, like a body of work, just so pe- I can like sort of reintroduce people to the music that I put out earlier, mm-hmm. the fans that I got along the way. Um, and then when that is a body of work, I'm obviously going to look to celebrate that with a show or a tour or something like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of something like that maybe around August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm um, sorry people really loved that sort of series I was doing it towards the end of last year where I was covering other Aotearoa artists in my yes. own way, you know what I'm saying? So there's been talk um, of, of like a season two. I don't know why I'm saying there's been talk as in there's like rumors in the community where the community is me. Um, but like I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about doing a season yeah. two of that and maybe branching out to some overseas artists and, and doing that kind of thing. But like I, like in, lieu of the conversation we just had i'm very, i'm still passionate about highlighting our own artists here like that was the whole point in doing it other people are like oh yeah you should do this band from overseas i'm like yeah but like my whole thing isn't really just like it obviously to get me some shine but also it's like to give some shine to our people here so um might do some overseas artists but i still want to do some new zealand artists mm. and you just put put out some more awesome interesting content but i think the over the overarching theme for me is just being more regular and consistent. Yeah, and talking about the uh, local artists. Yeah. Um, who are the some of the artists that work with you, or who we should know uh, yeah. more of about? Yeah. So I definitely think um, Podizo, who opened for me yesterday, deserves a lot of shine. He's a real talented musician. One of those guys where anyone who's a real serious artist who's seen him play just knows the talent that he has, and you know, like he will be a star. And you know, get on the get on the bandwagon while you can, kind of thing. Um, a few uh, like amazing wahine, his circles are killing it. I see Juju Lips coming up, Takunda coming up. Um, I see my boy Bice coming up from Zimbabwe. Um, D Matthews, my um, my, uh, my my boy and my <laughs> Nigerian dude, he's he's making some killer Afrobeat at the moment. Yeah, a bunch of like really cool young African people who are coming up. Um, just deserve a lot of. A lot of shine. Um, Chica, I, I mentioned her. Uh, I haven't m- mentioned her already, but she's yeah, she's killing it as well. Um, yeah, I would say those. Man, that's quite that's quite a few names you dropped already. But um, yeah, man. Uh, once again, uh, Mesbo, thank you so much for your time for coming here today, doing the podcast with me, man. And uh, you've shed a lot of light on uh, a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's a ho- there's, there's a lot of other questions that I have, but uh, yeah. we'll have to keep that for another time. All good. And um, I'm definitely sure uh, this is not the first. Uh, or, or, I mean, this is not the last uh, podcast we will do. I'm sure I'll see you again and uh, wish you nothing but the best and I uh, hope to see you do big and great things. Mesbo, thank you very much for coming. Appreciate it, bro. bro. All right, guys, if you stayed this far, thank you very much for uh, watching, listening, and uh, see you guys on the next one. Ooh. Hey, guys, Ali here. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your love and your support. If you're not already on board, please do follow us on here and share it with your friends and family. If you prefer a visual experience, our videos are actually up on YouTube at the Ali channel. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and share, and leave a comment or feedback if you like. And also you can follow us on our socials at the underscore Ali underscore channel for Instagram 
and on our Facebook page at The Ali Channel. We'll see you soon.